Welcome to another episode of Press Coverage, part of the Going for Two Live Network. I'm Kyle Senra, as always, uh, and uh, I haven't changed my name yet. <laughs> Senra says, still the Twitter account, and my guest for this episode is Brian Ford at FFJunkie underscore. Brian, right. co-host of the Dynasty Saturday Night Five here on the Going for Two Live Network. I appreciate it when you've invited me on. We've had interactions. You've come on the Dynasty Gambit as well. So, Brian, welcome to Press Coverage. Thanks for having me. Uh, really, really appreciate it. I, I'm, I, I feel honored. You know, you've had some some pretty interesting uh, names on here, you know, um, even guys that I, I know a little bit like Matt Hicks and Kevin Coleman. And it's like, I have no idea why you asked me because I don't belong with them. But here we are. <laughs> All grouped together. Yeah, this is a, it's been a fun season here on press coverage, season, the third season of this. And uh as always, I love the last episode of the season, which this is the season three finale. I always like to have a going for two member come on it. Mm-hmm. You know, naturally, year one, Jeff Lambert, our founder, that seemed like the logical choice just to explain the whole founding of going for two. So that, that seemed to make sense there. And then uh, the doc approached me, Dr. James Freddy, either end of year one or during that that second year. And I thought, OK, yeah, he he's a great guest I'd like to have on for the season finale. And it ties into the season. Mm. Which uh, we're getting to. We're, we're almost at the NFL season, and then yeah, with a, a season full of teachers, a teacher at uh, going for two, not just yeah. teaching people about dynasty, but as an educator in your profession, you were just a natural fit for the season three finale. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, but yes, I guess um, before we get started, we have to. Uh, I'll use some of your favorite keywords, but uh, we have to uh, pay our, our sponsors, the the um, the underdog overlords, I think, or underlords. I'm not sure. Uh, but uh, yes, uh, you can uh, join Underdog using either our promo code GF2 or for those watching the video, we have a QR code. And yeah, if you have not yet signed up for Underdog, but do so using either of those two methods, Underdog will double your initial deposit up to $100. So if you're new to Underdog, join in, sign in using the promo code GF2. If you put, up, if you put $100, they will give you an extra $100 in your account and you'll have $200 to participate in best ball drafts underdog best ball drafts have been it's crazy how like super popular they've become i'm not just mm. going to say it's because this podcast and everything i'm going for two is sponsored by underdog we constantly talk about it. it's totally not just us we're a big part of it though <laughs> no, i'm sure uh yeah a lot of, a lot of people love underdog so join all the fun sign up gf2 scan that qr code and yeah sign up for underdog start best ball drafting there'll be uh, eventually like nfl games you can pick higher lowers on on game totals, you can, or, or player stats as well. That, that's all going to be coming in NFL games real soon. Season's here. Looking forward to it. And um, I guess Jamie's saying, look at these two smart brains on the screen at the same time. It says brains, right? Not Brian's. My name isn't Brian. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, Jamie, good to, good to have you always in the comments. Uh, super appreciative, uh, Jamie. What's support. up, Jamie? Good to see you. Yeah, I guess uh, we can start off this episode as uh, the way we always start off every episode. Uh, Brian, what are your first sports memories? Yeah, so uh, I, you know, I'm in uh, I'm in North Jersey. Um, grew up in in Union County, and um, now live in a in a town named Montclair, is right outside, not right outside, but a couple towns away from from Newark. 
Uh, and, you know, I was just one of those uh, people who I just rooted for whoever my dad rooted for, right? Because, you know, he's sitting there watching the game and I just, you know, was rooting along with him. So, you know, I, I grew up Mets, Jets, Knicks, Rangers, and uh, very, especially Mets and Jets and, and, and Rangers. So, you know, we would go to Shea Stadium um, uh, and watch uh, the Mets We'd go at least a couple times a year. Uh, my grandfather would come, you know, there'd always be at least one game where my grandfather would come. And it was one of those things where you like not even really sneak. Right. Cause it was like the eighties when I was a kid, but like people didn't care much. You just bring like your own sandwiches. So you didn't have to pay out the nose. Right. For, you know, the, the, the concessions and um, didn't really do the jets much. Uh, you know, the season tickets there are like super expensive and there's like a 90 year wait list, but Ranger games, went to a lot of Rangers games in Madison Square Garden. Um, and he, I even had a gym teacher, right, who had season tickets and would give, it, give them to us sometimes as well. And I just, you know, I just remember uh, rooting along with, with my dad, uh, uh, you know, for those teams. I remember there was a year in the mid-80s, I want to say, uh, with the Jets. They went like 10-5-1 that year, and, and they like clinched the playoffs in like the last game of the year. And I remember him my dad doesn't show a lot of emotion and he jumped up and hit his head on our like low seven foot ceiling in, in our, in our living room, you know, when they, cause they clinched it like the last, the last week of, uh, of the season. So, you know, I think my first sports memories are, are, are that, you know, Mets, Jets, Rangers, you know, going to games with my dad and my grandfather and my brother and um, that sort of thing. And And then, you know, as far as like, playing you know i think like a lot of suburban kids back then i you know i did a lot of did a lot of soccer when i was a kid uh did did some little league and that sort of thing um uh you know as i got older uh with, with baseball you know it became very very apparent that like i was a decent pitcher and, and a and a decent uh you know uh, fielder but uh hitting was was really not my thing you know like i i'd be in the little league and you know, I, I'd hit like 300, but like the leaderboards up there and like the, the kid who's on top is hitting like 625, you know. So, um, yeah. And, 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 and as I got older, you know, um, it just, you know, the competition gets gets tougher and it just, you know, it just wasn't wasn't really my thing. I'm just not really great at it. Uh, I think there's reasons, you know, for that that we may get into later. But uh, one thing that I did um, really latch on to. Uh, when I when I was in high school, a sport that I really was good at, uh, I played lacrosse for two years in, in high school. Um, and then uh, I transferred schools. And at the time, <clears throat> the school I transferred to didn't have a program. So that was pretty much the end of my organized sports. Uh, you know, I played a little bit of football, organized football in seventh and eighth grade. You know, that was fun. You know, so I had I dabbled. But yeah, those are those are probably my 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 sort of youth sports memories. Yeah. Just to mention, so apparently Jamie loves the Rangers as well. So you and he have a connection there. Uh, he's naming, you know, Brian Leach, Mark Messier, Mike Richter were his yeah. favorite all-time players. Oh, for sure, yeah. yeah. Besides Gretzky, of course. <laughs> but uh, I mean, Gretzky wasn't there for that cup win, so I, I suppose no. 90, 1994 he would have witnessed, uh, you know, Leach, Messier, Richter. Ninety four was such a weird year, right? Because <clears throat> you know the Rangers won the cup, and the Knicks were in the finals, and all that was going on at the same time as the OJ thing. Yeah. Like I remember watching, um, 
I think it was the Knicks game that that or was it the Rangers game that night? I and think like, it was the Knicks game the and the split, Rangers were having the playoff parade that day. Yeah, and the split screen was like the Bronco, the, the Bronco chase, yeah. you know, right? And it was like, what the hell? You know, it's just it's just so weird to look back on and think about that. Yeah. Not to uh, you know, plug the four letter network, but the, the thirty for thirty, my favorite one that they've done is the the one of that day, the OJ Simpson car chase, because they talked about every other sporting event that was happening. So it wasn't just the two New York things. Uh, well, it might have been centered around New York, too. The, the United States were hosting the World Cup for the first time, the Men's World Cup. And oh, right, so there yeah. Was, there was, I think the United States were playing that night, or there was there was a big game. I don't know if it was, like, in the in the knockout stage, but it seems like there was, a, there was an important game happening at the same time. Um, probably there was – Yankees were probably playing, or Mets, you know, how big those both are. But, yeah, it was just – Several really huge, impactful sporting events, and the only thing anyone cared about was this car chase. So yeah, that's uh, definitely. So we're going to talk about one of my favorite bands later. Uh, they were playing that night in Milwaukee, and you got to remember this is 1994, right? So there's no like cell phones, Twitter, right? Like, so they were like making references to OJ in during in the second set. <clears throat> you know, and like they're and like in the middle of a jam, they were like, run, OJ, run, run. And like so people had no idea what was going on until they like left and, and got home and, 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 and figured it out. You know, those were those were the, the pre social media days, you know. Yeah. Band still had the information somehow. Smart band, clearly <laughs> well informed. Uh, but yes, uh, just to keep informed. Oh, yeah. Uh, <coughs> Jamie wants to keep us fully informed, doesn't want to uh, forget uh, Gartner either. Um. The one name I'm surprised was mean was Adam Graves, who I know is also a really key player to the, that cup run. But yeah, 94, the glory days of the Rangers. Ending at the, what at the time was the longest cup drought in NHL history. Do you think the Leafs have broken it now? I, I can't remember. That they're, if they opposing, haven't yet. <coughs> opposing fans used to chant 1940 at us. Oh, wow. Yeah. How infamous. Well, yeah, that's that's done now. The uh, Glenn Anderson was on that team too. What a What a great team. Uh, a yeah, lot so. of a lot of veterans, a lot of expensive like veteran free agents. Kind of, I I don't want to say they like bought the team, but like they had a good team in place, and then they brought in a lot of really good role players that were, you know, more expensive than the younger role players to make sure it was all yeah. And I mean, you know, key, key players they did draft like Adam Graves, Brian Leach draft. I'm pretty sure he played his whole career with the Rangers. Same with Mike Richter. So like. It's funny because you think of that core, Messier, Anderson, and then Glenn Suter at, at coach. They won six cup togethers, five yeah. with the Oilers, and then let, let's bring the whole band over yeah. to, to yeah, New yeah. York. And eventually Gretzky showed up. He was a little late to the party, though. He had to sing in the blues in St. Louis. I remember where I was when the Gretzky to L.A. trade got announced. Oh, man, I was huge. I was down the shore. I was on vacation with with my family. We, uh, my great aunt had a house in, in down the shore. And, uh, you know, uh, yeah, Gretzky got traded that night. Or something like that, or, or we found out the next morning. Remember Again, free social media. I would have found out instantly. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. But, um, and that that trade is just crazy because like that proved anyone could get traded. Certainly in hockey. Like, do you imagine Tom Brady getting traded and not just leaving as a free agent? That's that's wild. So, hockey's a wild sport. Watch it, folks. It's fun. <laughs> in a couple of months, I know you'll have your football soon. Uh, but yes. Uh, well, that's one question. Uh, just just very loquacious as as I thought we'd be. So. Perfect. Um, (laughs) Obviously, sports, we have a lot of fun, whether it's watching or playing them. I know, Brian, you and I love playing fantasy football. So when did fantasy sports start for you? 
That's a really good question. I was thinking about this and it's kind of fuzzy, you know, and I started playing in like the late nineties and, you know, full disclosure, like the late nineties is kind of a blur for me. Uh, a lot of alcohol and drugs at the time. And some of the stuff didn't stick like the record button wasn't working. And, uh, so I, I remember vaguely, you know, uh, getting into fantasy football with a couple of friends of mine. There was this website called Sandbox. Um, it was like, it might have even been pre, like when Yahoo had it, you know, like, like 97, something like that, you know. So like just as the internet was viable enough to do fantasy sports so i never had one of those pen and paper check the box score in the newspaper leagues i kind of got in like right after that like right at the beginning of the of the internet version of things but you know uh i and then you know i've been so that was so i've been playing for like you know 20 something years um and i got really really into it uh i, I did uh i did hockey i did football i did basketball uh, I, I did it XFL fantasy league one year, you know, like um, when it first came out, you know, like when the, the, he hate me guy, right. Remember that? You don't, do you remember that at all? The he yeah. hate me. Yeah. So like, oh, you're talking like XFL, like 1.0. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like Vince McMahon XFL. No, yeah. I don't yeah, yeah. No, That's yeah. At that point, I think I mostly just paid attention to hockey. Like there were other yeah. sport, well, golf at my house. It was always hockey or golf that was on. But like I didn't, I didn't really pay too much attention to football at that point, to be honest. Yeah. So they allowed some players or whatever to wear nicknames or something on there. Mm-hmm. And there was this guy that, that wore the back of his jersey. He hate me. I've, I don't know, but anyway. Uh, yeah. So like, and then, um, and then it just kind of like just became a staple. You know, just kind of always every year doing at least a couple sports. Uh, Yahoo was the main one there, you know, for a long time for me, um, you know, and, and at first didn't do much, you know, for money. It was just kind of fun, you know, uh, and oddly enough, you know, I as much as I like love Dynasty, obviously, it, it, it was a really long time before I got into anything Dynasty. Like I, I like I started playing in the late 90s. I think the first time I played Dynasty might have been like 2019, something like that. So. Yeah, it was a long time before I even thought about like that as like a, a thing I'd like to get into, and then like just you know I got bit by the bug and I'm an addict. So I think his he, so I think what Jamie's saying here is he hate me's name was Rod Smart. That sounds right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Smart man to go with the he hate me because everyone remembers that now. Branded, right? Uh, but yes, uh, and yes, Jamie, we do. Play I mean, games. he's probably packing groceries now or something. No, but. It's funny because it's either it's either groceries or selling insurance. Those are the only two jobs former NFL players could have. Apparently, like, there's nothing else yeah. available to them. So uh, Memphis Young, the founder of the uh, or or uh, one of the leaders of the uh, Dynasty Warzone brand, you know, right. uh, has this uh, phrase he uses for like the like the bad competition that they're playing against in preseason, or I, I think he calls it like. Uh, Walmart uh, readers? No, crumb bums and shoe clerks or something. I don't know. It's, <laughs> and it's like, okay, all right. Yeah, yeah. So apparently uh, Rod Smart played 53 games for the Panthers and Raiders. Jamie's quite smart to share us this information. He also talked a lot about hockey. And I just find it funny to go back to the Do you, the do you remember pop-up video on VH1? Yes. 
Yeah, you'd have the music video and then you have little bubbles pop up to kind of explain the, like behind the, the scenes yeah, or history yeah. of the band. Yeah. Jamie's doing our pop-up video right now. Oh, for, yes. For you know what? Yes. Good job, Jamie. You're the, uh, <laughs> you're the editor in chief when you decide to pop in here. Uh, but it's funny because I also started playing fantasy in the mid nineties, but my, again, I, as I mentioned, like I was a big hockey fan and my parents loved watching golf. So I kind of became a big golf fan, but yeah, it was, uh, it was fantasy hockey for a while. It was all I did. And it was, it was actually just the playoffs. I remember one year I was I think, joining Yahoo. Funny enough, we're plugging that site. I think it was when I first went to university. So 2010, I joined a full season fantasy hockey league. Kind of boring by the end of the year, but fantasy football, shorter span and the lineups once a week. That's much more interesting. So I think I joined a yeah, fantasy football you know, league probably the next year. I remember that. I remember when like you had to pay extra if if you wanted live scoring for your league, like <laughs> fan, like like on Yahoo, like fantasy football was free. Oh. But like, if you wanted live scoring, you could pay like a little extra, you know. You'd have and to now, wait till the next day. Yeah. Yeah. Now, like, I'm watching Red Zone, and if I don't turn my sleeper notifications off, they're telling me who scored a touchdown five seconds before it happens on the TV. It's like, <laughs> it's wild. It's wild. Yeah. How far we've come. Imagine now if Yahoo tried to like, oh, pay for live scoring, no one would use the site, right? So you talking about? Yeah. So they got ahead of it. At least they made some good money then. But uh, all to say, it's funny how like I think if you think hockey and we'll, we'll dwell on this for a sec this show is so free form we can yeah. but uh, it just kind of gave me an idea of maybe two of the greatest american players ever are mentioned in this uh, brian leach and mike richter and now i i played defense when i played hockey my dad did as well like we both are convinced bobby Orr is the greatest player ever not gretzky so bias towards defenseman brian leach is usually the answer i give when it's when people ask who's the greatest american player Usually they'll go to like the, the centers, the high producing forwards, but mm. on that Rangers team, it's it's Brian Leach who got the playoff MVP. As I think he had like thirty something points, like one of the two highest uh, point totals for a defenseman in a playoff series or a playoff year ever. So mm-hmm. I certainly think Brian Leach uh, deserves consideration in that conversation. Where I find whenever people bring that up, best American players ever, it seems like he's rarely ever mentioned yet. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know if you have an answer towards that, if you've ever pondered that. No, you know, because I don't know well enough who's American, who's Canadian and and all that, you know, like, so I wouldn't really, wouldn't really have a a good memory one way or another to say that. Yeah. Yeah. 90s memory, right? We didn't even touch that. I think the answer was Jeremy Roenick American. Yes, he is. I mean, I'm I'm not saying it's him. I'm just wondering, like, I thought, I thought he was. Yeah. Yeah, no. I think Mike Medano is the all-time leading American-born player in points. So that's, I think... And deservingly so, one of the players that's often mentioned. I know Patrick Kane is a like a recent player that also gets mentioned. Oh yeah, conversation yeah, yeah. a three time Cup winner, also has a Consmite Trophy to his name. Yeah, I mean, I actually don't really follow sports besides football anymore, <laughs> and I don't really and I don't really root for a football team anymore. It's kind of interesting. It's it's one of the it's one of the many ways in which I'm kind of like different from a lot of people in the fantasy space. You know, like I'll go into leagues and, you know, we'll just be talking and, I, and they'll ask me what my team is. I'm like, I don't have a team, you know, and like I don't watch I don't watch playoff football. I barely watch it, you know. OK, it's uh, it's not relevant for fantasy. So I kind of don't care. Yeah, like I can't remember the last time I've like sat down and, and like, yeah, I'm going to watch the Super Bowl. This is so exciting, you know. I don't, you sound I don't like know. me. I say that every year. <laughs> I don't really care, you know. I just, you know. 
that's not no has no bearing on fantasy. I, I, I care so little about it. Football ends after the first week in January. And even actually the first week of January is usually week 18, so it ends the week yeah. before then. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Okay, so we'll we'll end the the fantasy sports discussion for now and get into the get the theme of season three of press coverage and teaching. So first question in that regard, Brian, is when did you first get the inclination that you wanted to teach? So I, te- I teach high school history. And um, people ask me, you know, what made you want to become a teacher? What did you know you... And I don't have a really great answer for it, you know. You'll hear a lot of teachers have very, like, poignant stories about it, you know. And for me, it was, uh, like, I, I, I transferred, like, three times in college. And it was finally time to, you know, um, get serious about finishing, you know. And I spent my last two years at uh, Rutgers in, in New Brunswick here in New Jersey. And uh, I majored in history there just because I loved history. Um, it was my favorite thing, you know. And, you know, it's one of those things where um, we we tell people the story, you know, get good grades, go to college, get a job. Like that's the that's the linear progression you're supposed to do. And so I'm sitting there and figuring, thinking about like, well, what can I do with a history degree? You know, and I I landed on teaching. Um, you know, I think one of the reasons I, I landed on it was. I was really good at explaining things to people and I was really good at helping people figure things out. And I was really good at um, telling stories, you know, making it come alive. And, and then I thought about like, being the kind of adult in a teenager's life that I kind of wish I had when I was a teenager. So I dropped out of high school. Uh, I got my GED uh, before I went to college. And I was lost, you know, as a teenager, 16, 17 years old, just a lot of drugs, you know. Um, And uh, yeah, you know, um, and the adults were few and far between who were understanding, you know, or who wanted to, who didn't, you know, didn't look down on you, you know? And uh, I didn't, I didn't have anybody to talk to, you know, Um, teachers, like one of them I liked, didn't get along with a lot of my family, you know? And I, and I hated what school was for a lot of students, you know, uh, just a boring prison. And uh, so, yeah, so one of the reasons I became a teacher was like, I want to not do it that way, you know. It's funny because you, you talk about how other people seem to have you know, profound answers. And usually it's because of a really positive interaction with a specific teacher. Oh, I want to be like them, but you're almost the opposite of you had that absence and found there's a void to fill because I haven't seen that. That's, that's why what I want to be like. Yeah. And I'm kind of at a new, I mean, I could go on forever, but I'm kind of at a new phase of that because 
I've learned in the last two years uh, that I have ADHD and I'm autistic. Uh, there's about somewhere between 30 and 80% of, of autistic folks also have the combo platter AD, with ADHD. And um, in, in this journey of like finding out more about my brain and how it interacts with the world, I'm reflecting on like how I could have done better for those brains in my classroom as a teacher, you know? And so I want to do, so, you know, now my mission, if you will, is like my, my classroom is going to be neurodiversity affirming, you know? You'll be able to reach every kid, maybe not specifically I mean, on a day-to-day basis, but through the course that you're at, everyone will feel. No, I mean, like they can approach you and they can like learn. We, you, you want to get up and stretch and walk around. Get up and stretch and walk around. You want to doodle, doodle, doodle. Doodling helps a lot of ADHD people focus. I, I want to have like a box of like fidget toys for people. You know, like is the lighting too bright? Okay, let's do let's let's dim it. You know, like it doesn't have to be. You know, this this sterile boring experience that forces people to be in a box that's uncomfortable for them you know you know and so and that's kind of that's kind of where i'm at with that these days i've noticed like more and more here in canada the popularity of the standing desk so the students who don't want to be sitting down can you know follow the lessons while standing or uh one thing i think that's really cool uh it's pedals not attached to a bike or anything but the student can just pedal while they're sitting at their desk and Again, for certain kids, especially with ADHD, that sometimes can be really helpful. So I don't know if you can see that that Amazon box there. Oh yeah, by yeah. the bookcase. I mean, f Amazon. But uh, I am. It's it's an under desk bike okay. pedal thing. So it's yeah. good for because I want to increase physical movement in my life, but it's also very good for fidgeting, energy, and things like that. So you know, and obviously I got to put it together. But because I have ADHD, <laughs> it's going to sit there for seven months. But you know. If only you had pedals that you already done, and then you could do that while you're building it, it might help. Yeah, but, yeah. yeah something like it's that. It's like the having the get buying the scissors pack, and you can't open the package without the scissors. And it's, ah. Oh, I saw a thing on like that you can do it without it. It was like one of these videos, like a, a reel or whatever the hell they call it on on Facebook, that was like um like a million facts you wish you knew. You know, like airplane neck pillows are supposed to go like with the this part in the front. And uh, all this stuff. And one of them was how to open those packages without the scissor. Teaching a lot of great stuff here. Uh, <laughs> now, can't always teach the way Jamie teaches. Uh, I've always wanted adults to buy me beer and cigarettes. Have you ever done that for teenagers? I don't know no, what the laws are like in New Jersey, no, but I'm pretty no. sure. I know if I do that in Canada, I, don't, I might not get fired, but I'll definitely be suspended for a long time. So. I, mean, I, was a, I mean, I was a teenager hanging outside of liquor stores asking people to do that. <laughs> But, yeah, even on the other side, but not, not the flip side of the coin. So no, the answer is no, Jamie. Sorry. Sorry for the fun. We're, we're not the type of adults you wanted. Sorry. Uh, but uh, I guess uh, next question, have you ever used, because again, we're back to fantasy sports again, but because it's so impactful and so important uh, to your life, have you ever used fantasy sports as part of a lesson? I know maybe I mean, history may not be the most uh, obvious way, but. Yeah. I mean, the short answer to that is no. Um, so, uh, you, you know, the history way, you know, it's just, there's not a, a very 
natural fit there. I know, you know, some math people have done it or like whatever probability. I know there's a, I wish I, I looked up the name. There's a group on Twitter and what they do is they, they, um, they help, they, they teach special needs students through fantasy football. Oh, gosh, I wish I knew what it was. There's a group of teachers who do it. Uh, and they're, they're on, they're on Twitter. So like, I know that like pe- people do it. It's just never been like a thing that really fit well in the classroom for me. Um, but like, I've kind of bonded with students over it, you know, uh, they're surprised to find out I, I play. And so we talk about it a little bit, you know, here and there, um, who's on your team, how'd your team do this weekend and, and that sort of thing. And actually, the longest running league I've ever was in was a, um, I just left it a, a little while ago, uh, 15 years in a keeper league, a fantasy baseball league. And that was started by two former students. So after they graduated, they invited me and um, yeah. So that, that like maintained our, our relationship for, for years. Yeah. Um, so at this uh, but, point, my longest running fantasy league is 11 years. So that's definitely mm-hmm. a, a commitment to there. Yeah. I don't have anything near that long anymore. People talk about home leagues. I'm like, I don't know, home league. I'm, I'm friends. You're not I'm homeless, like, but <laughs> I, don't, I don't, I don't have like, cause a lot, a lot of the people I roll with like outside of the fantasy space aren't really fantasy people, you know? Uh, in fact, like, there are times like in, in some of those circles where I'll mention, you know, what I do, like podcasts and fantasy football. And they're like really surprised, you know, that, that I do because I just don't there's a there's an image I think they have of of who plays fantasy football and and I'm not it, you know. Oh, so the nerdy glasses wearing guy isn't the image of fantasy football. That's strange. <laughs> that's, that's I guess that's that's uh, from the Matrix. Visual self-image. That's what I get out of it. Mm. Everyone who plays fantasy looks like me, you know. Yeah, I you know, but like, listen, I'm the the fantasy space is not a very friendly space. Sometimes it's not a very progressive space. Sometimes, um, you know, I think a lot of the the people who are creators and who have like influence and stuff like that on social media are to an extent. You know, but you go in a, your average, you know, sleeper league with these 25 year olds who play Call of Duty and think they know everything like there's a lot of chodes. There's a lot of bros. There's a, there's gonna, a lot I was of gonna say bro culture does kind of. Yeah. Culture. You know, and there's a lot of homophobia and misogyny. And, you know, if you express anything that is, uh, you know, trying to maybe destigmatize something or push language in a certain direction or. Or um, just ask people not to be a dick and be an adult, you know, you get called, you know, soft as Charmin. And so and 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 so and so, you know, when I'm in like, you know, like a meeting for like, you know, a socialist organization, you know, and we're chopping it up about whatever. And, you know, I'm not like a bro, like I don't have my fitted backwards, you know, uh, like and 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 they and I and they. And I tell them that I play fantasy football. They're they're kind of surprised. Yeah, I suppose you know the the football sports machine is a very capitalist 
idea, right? So it would. Well, football is one of the most socialist sports, actually, in the way that it like shares revenue and things like that. But um, this is a. I describe it as a leftover of a young of a younger me that cared about sports. And just the fantasy part of it is what is what's left over. And I'm but I just really love it. It's just a really cool hobby that like I am way too into. <laughs> I mean, my tag, right? My Twitter handle has junkie in it, right? There's a reason for that. Yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah, uh, Jamie's saying there, it's a lot of you're an idiot for our takes, but they can never elaborate. So that makes them the idiots. Uh-huh. Take that. No, you are. But what am I? No. Just, oh, yeah. I mean, you get in you get in some of the replies on some of these things on, on Twitter and it's like just just trash human beings saying trash things, you know, who just, you know, just like to, you know, condescend on a take and and mock you and then then like don't want to engage in a discussion about it you know just i'll be honest like some of the like dynasty group chats i'm in they're big enough that you get some of that as well certain people who you oh you see that name come up and it's like this is probably going to be either you're all an idiot what are you all doing or very condescending what i started doing with some stuff is muting the conversation just because I just oh yeah just don't want Certainly to do on Twitter it. that's that's yeah. good the mute button will still function that's that's so important uh, you can block out the rest um, yeah but uh, yeah well I guess uh, yeah so the 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 not so well you know what we've already kind of started answering this next question the parallels between uh, you know real life uh, outside the fantasy football community and and, in, and you know teaching yeah. Uh, maybe yeah, that's one of the think, negatives, right? There's even outside of the fantasy sphere, there's tons of negativity just in the real world social media platforms in general. Yeah. What What's interesting for me is, you know, I teach in, in, in Northeast New Jersey, right? And this story would be different if I was two towns over in Nutley, if I was down down the shore in some of those, you know, Republican areas, if I was in northwest or southwest jersey which might as well be pennsylvania and alabama sometimes but like where i'm at and where i teach and just the vibes you know are just some sometimes it's fake progressive you know like pat ourselves on the back and then you know you know when 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 a push comes to shove you know you're not willing to put any skin in the game you know, like you'll put a Black Lives Matter sign on your lawn, but you don't want to defund the police, you know, but like, but, um, but like, you know, pronouns and, um, you know, uh, language that's respectful and, um, you know, sort of an assumption, right, that the, that the U.S. Is a, is a racist, among other things, society and you know, the history has been written by the winners and, you know, and it, I guess it can be kind of a bubble sometimes, right? Because, you know, uh, 16-year-olds that I teach are much smarter, better critical thinkers, more progressive, more loving, humane human beings than a lot of the people in the fantasy space. They're you know? a lot more accepting of you know, this, this isn't always ha- how it has to be. You know, and people speak. want people want to joke about it and, you know, call it like woke or whatever and that sort of thing. And listen, I could go on for five hours about, about these idiots 
but um but yeah it's it's tough it's tough right because um uh, you know i i'll interact with these kids and we're, and you know i teach history so we're talking about you know how how history informs us to change the present and the future um you know and and i have hope sometimes you know uh because you know some of these some of these kids you know they're 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 really sharp and they're really compassionate and empathetic and they want to make change and you know they they know who the real enemies are and 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 that sort of thing you know and then i got to deal with some jerk off 31 year old on 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 twitter you know fantasy football space who should know better who's whatever pushing back against the fact that i have like pronouns in my in my display name on on twitter oh pronouns oh, oh that's a sign of it whatever oh. and it's like man just waiting for them to like use a pronoun in their message at some right. point just to just to and 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 so and it's 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 not a parallel between teaching and the fantasy space it's perpendicular <laughs> right like again the fantasy space is is a much more regressive reactionary um toxic space than the time i spend with 16 year olds and i think part of it is you know this generation of youth right now they're just so well informed. They're coming out with, with all sorts of technology that the truth can't be hidden from them, and they're they're smart mm-hmm. enough to make judgments of their own and not just be you know, blindly be you know, told what to, what to think. I think uh, you know, the last few generations have been better at that, at, at just understanding that we need to be informed. But it seems like mm-hmm. this youth generation right now has no choice but to be informed. Uh, well, I, I love Gen I love Gen Z. People want to make fun of Gen Z. I love them. They got the right idea. They look around and they said everybody else screwed up the world. Fuck it, let's just vape and go on TikTok. And I, I mean think you that, said that on DSM I, five one time. I mean that in the most loving way, right? Like I don't mean that they're disengaged from the world because they're very engaged in the world and they're very into making change. But they look around and they and they see that we they they've inherited a literally boiling earth, right? They've inherited decrepit politicians, uh, late stage capitalism, student debt, like like baby boomers, and to an extent, other folks did the equivalent of leaving that one square of toilet paper on the roll, and you know making it somebody else's job, and. Good for them for saying, I'm going to go to college. I'm going to figure out some other way. I'm going to be an influencer. I'm going to sell feet pics on OnlyFans. I'm going to, I'm going to hustle and make my own brand of fashion. Good for them. Good for them. What does college get you? Right? I love college. I love to learn. But it's not for everybody. Right? And to ask people to go into five, six-figure debt, for college education, good for it's, them for saying it's a F- serious you. investment, right? You yeah, yeah. Good really for them. ready to, to know what that entitles. Uh, but yeah, yeah. Let's let's go, kids. <laughs> All our hopes are on you. Uh, which I'm sure I'm sure our generation was told that by the previous generation, and was vice versa. That cycle has continued for a while. 
All right. So <laughs> I was going to say, maybe this is getting more positive, but you, you actually, you, you, uh, you're clearly a host because you, you, you've got the transition spot pretty good. You, you mentioned the one word influence. And uh, I don't know if there's any TikTok. No, no, no. You are the king of trans segues. Not, no, no. You are the king. You, you well, will, I, I, didn't, you I will, didn't say I was giving you the crown, but I said you're good at it. You will grab a word out of five sentences ago and drag a segue out of it into the next section. You are the king. Well, I'm doing that now because I think it's been about five, six sentences since you said the word influencer. <laughs> but uh, who have been the biggest influences in your life so far? Yeah, that's a really tough question for me to answer. Uh, you know, a lot of people, you know, especially the teachers that folks, you know, that you've had on will talk about teachers in their lives. will talk about family members and things like that. And, you know, they love their grandfather and shit like that. And it's not like that for me. Like the people who have influenced me the most have not been you know, adults who were in, in my family were not really adults who were in, you know, close social circles of mine. It was my friends. Um, and it was folks who I learned about, many of whom came before me, you know, so um, people I don't even know, you know, um, historical figures you know people like that um you know authors i've read you know those are those are the folks who have who have who have influenced influenced me the most yeah. i would say at least in the positive way because you've probably gotten like in a sense the negative influence oh yeah what not to get but yeah we want to oh very true influence. yeah no yeah my, no yeah my, my my insurance helps me cover 250 dollars a week to, to talk about the negative influence that adults have had on my life. Yeah. The, Get in the, losers. We're healing our trauma. Like, uh, yeah, I mean, but um, as far as like positive influence and, and shaped like the best version of me and the person I aspire to be and like the me I am when I'm proud of myself, it was, it was, it's, it wasn't my family. I mean, it was Karl Marx, you know, <laughs> like has more of an influence on me than, than, you know, my dad. Well, and that's, Karl and Marx that's, has influenced a lot of people, to be fair. So. And that's not always true, you know, like for, for, for people, you know. No, and you're right. Like we've heard a lot of guests where the first things they say are parents or teachers. So, yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, I'm glad I mean, we're, the, we're departing. For, I, went you know. to, I went to Catholic school, kindergarten through 10th grade, right? And so, um, listen, there's a lot of teachers that I came across who probably thought they were doing the right thing, you know. But like, you know, uh, when I was in sixth grade, uh, my friend was chewing on his pen and the nun who was teaching the class asked him to come up to the front of the room. She said, put the pen in your mouth. And she goes, you like chewing on pens, don't you? And she like was shaking it while it was in his mouth and it burst and the ink went in his mouth. When I was in third grade, teacher tried to enforce gender norms and the one boy who was always playing with the girls and there was one girl who was always playing with the boys on the playground and that of course couldn't be um she made the the boy wear a bow in his hair and she made the girl wear a tie like the school uniform tie that we wear right and like that's the message i'm getting in third grade about gender norms you know so i can't say that i went through school and teachers have had a positive influence on me one teacher 
Mrs. Graham, as much as, you know, she was whatever, you know, full on Catholic and all that bullshit. But she. She. Encouraged my love of history and geography and things like that. So, yeah, we'll name the, the positive influence. We'll leave the other ones. They don't, they don't deserve the, the name coming out. They don't deserve the, the press. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so, okay. Now we'll get to something fun, for sure, because we're talking hobbies. Um, and, of course, fantasy football is on the list. But what are your favorite hobbies, Brian? You know, I struggled to, to think about the answer to this question, too. Um, uh, you know, I think, I think some of the, the Gen Z who I love who are watching this are going to tell me to touch grass because – I don't really have hobbies. I don't really get out much. Fantasy football is really my core hobby. Um, and then, you know, the free time that I have is often spent doing uh, political work, you know. Uh, and so, you know, that's the other big chunk of my time is used that way. Um, there is one hobby that I have that's neither of those that I kind of have gone in and out of, you know, kind of life happens and I put it to the side. But the first time I ever podcasted, the reason I have this mic and this mixer and this headphones, right? I, I have a, a, a podcast called Brian Talks to Humans. And it's just me interviewing everyday people. So the, the conceit, the idea of the podcast is that everyday people's life stories are interesting, right? Not just because they're some famous whatever. Right. Um, my friend joked that I'm like a poor man's Mark Marin. Right. I bring people in. We talk about their life, except he's a celebrity talking to celebrities and we aren't. Right. You know. Um, and so I've I've kind of I would do that, fall in love with it. And then life would happen and I have to put it down for a while. And then I do that, and fall in love with it. Life would have put it down for a while. And um, this February, I did my first episode uh, in a long time. Uh, and then just recorded one uh, a few days ago. It's going to come out soon. And what I'm trying to do with this season, you know, or this era of the show uh, is to really lean into um, neurodivergent folks, right? Um, because uh, one of the, I mean, for a million reasons, but one of the reasons is that when it comes to neuro neurodivergence, especially sort of the more um, visible ones on social media and YouTube, like uh, being autistic and, and ADHD, um, we're in the middle of a really interesting historical moment that we're finding a lot more about it, that a lot more people of my generation, you know, and a little older and a little younger who slipped through the cracks, you know, for years um, are, you know, discovering, getting diagnosed, and what's really interesting, too, is that a lot of the best knowledge and resources for folks like me are coming from folks like me, right? Like, if you look at the DSM-5 language on diagnosing autism, it's deeply ableist. It's flawed language, right? Uh, really looks at it as a disorder and a, and a disease and, you know, right? Like a path pathology, something that's bad instead of a neurotype, just a different kind of brain, right? And so what, what hashtag actually autistic folks are doing is, you know, getting out there on social media and, and YouTube, pushing back against that and creating 
spaces for us and culture for us and resources for us, right? Like I, I have a wonderful therapist. I have a new therapist I started seeing in November. I love her, right? But even she will say like, you know, there's, there's a way that she doesn't understand me in a way that when I go into a discord of autistic ADHD folks understand me, right? And, you know, we're doing that. We're out on social media. We're out on YouTube. We're producing the best information for us, not medicine and psychology communities. And it's kind of like some people have compared it to like LGBTQIA plus movement, like say 60 years ago, right? When there was a lot, there was much more cultural space, right? For people to start talking about who they were and their experiences and what it's like to be them and the world realizing there's a hell of a lot more of us than, than they thought, that sort of thing. There's, there's, so there's certain parallels there. And interestingly enough, there's actually a disproportionate overlap, excuse me, between autistic folks and, um, and, the, and the rainbow community, particularly the, the um, uh, gender nonconforming uh, community. I guess if your brain's wired a different way, you won't be wired to think of male, female, and just in, in there's other aspects where it's, it's not wired mm-hmm. to think in a neuro non-divergent way. Neurotypical is the word that we use most often. Yeah. yeah. I don't need too many nubbled negatives in there. That gets confusing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I mean, the firsthand experience of being someone who's autistic probably does give you the best sphere to be able to share that. Uh, like I said, your therapist you know, like you, seems like what you've said, she's a great therapist, but even she has the limits of what she knows. And I think the best therapists aren't, therapists aren't necessarily trying to tell you something they know. It's how do they help you inside your own head figure out what's yeah. going on in there? Mm-hmm. Help map things out, help find a, yeah. you know, a pathway to kind of fully understand it. Yeah, and there's not a whole lot of therapists who have experience, right? Like I switched therapists in November. I was seeing the same therapist for like 25 years and it, it started to kind of plateau, you know? And yeah, that is uh, a long time. I know yeah. my wife, and... <laughs> she, like I could, like I'm sure she couldn't even imagine having a client yeah. for 25 years. She's a yeah. therapist and yeah. And this particular therapist has a lot of experience with neurodivergent adults and it's very, so she, she, she knows a lot, you know, and she's had a lot of experience. So yeah, it's, it's a really good fit. You know? Apparently Jamie loved playing with the girls when he was a kid and they played a game called doctor under the jungle jungle gym. I'm now going to call him jock, Dr. Jamie as much as I remember. You know, he could probably, you know, replace Dr. Jim on the Monday night show now, you know, I was just yeah. thinking that, yeah, uh, doc won't be, uh, He'll, he'll still, he said he'll still come on for certain episodes, but it won't be, he won't be a regular, maybe once yeah. a month type thing. So there might be. Yeah. Leave it to Jamie will, will, will always take any serious topic and like inject like a sixth grade joke about it. I love Jamie. Yeah, no, he's great for that. It's the, and now we're starting to peel back like young Jamie, like, okay, this is the origins of where all this behavior came from. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Doctor Jamie, sorry, I guess he was yeah. a doctor then. So, uh, so yeah, as far as, as far as hobbies go, yeah, it's it's the podcast that I dabble in. Which, uh, by the way, that's and, sorry, and it's Brian and it's political talks, work. Brian talks the, to humans. Yeah, 
talk, try and uh, talk to humans. Okay. At the end. So the title came from essentially a joke that like I didn't get out much, you know. And so this is actually the only time that I talked to human beings. Oh my god, he finally uh, did it. He finally did yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, which is which is really interesting because, well, like what I've noticed is um, uh, a lot of nerd neurodivergent folks will will refer to people as like humans like when we're around other humans dot 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 to the point where like i've neurotypical people have noticed it like yo dude you call people humans like you're an alien or something oh well <laughs> i mean well, maybe we are aliens who knows uh but uh, anyway uh, so there's a lot we don't know something about you brian that we don't know and you have revealed a lot so is there anything else you would like to share that the fantasy community you know loves? yeah I, I was thinking about this and um if there's a things that a few people in the community know like i don't know if there's anything that like nobody knows you know what i mean like um you know i went on the the fantasy face-off network's mental health potathon right and i talked about some of this stuff so if you're watching that you know but like uh, so yeah, you know, autistic, ADHD. Uh, I'm I'm a recovering addict. Um, you know, alcohol and, and and hard drugs for the most part. But you know, I've also gotten in trouble when I got sober from those. You know, I was also have gotten in trouble with things like food, gambling, sex. Right, like the ADHD brain. You know, uh, uh, it. You know, it's all about well, really everybody's brain. But, you know, especially ADHD brain, as far as regulation goes, dopamine, we're all chasing dopamine, right? And so I just have a, a brain that just, you know, constantly fucking needs dopamine, you know? <laughs> and, and, and so I will, I, I have trouble. I have trouble with, with control when it, when it comes to things that, that produce, you know, that dopamine squirt, that rush. You know, there's this book have it right over here. I, I barely read some of it. It's another thing I struggle with is like picking up books and then not finishing them. It's called The Molecule of More. And it's sort of this like you know, biopsychosocial exploration of really how dopamine runs the show. You know, even when we don't think it is. Like we think of dopamine as like, you know, very micro level, like a person using drugs or like ADHD brain and something like that, right? But like you know, when you look up at a mountain and want to climb it, you know, that's dopamine, right? Like when you, you know, uh, have an achievement or win something, right? It's dopamine. Right? I was going to use yeah. when you draft a player in a fantasy football. Yeah, yeah. You, accept yeah, a trade right? you see that trade in your inbox. Right. And listen, dopamine runs the show. I mean, there's all sorts of other adrenaline, cortisol, serotonin, like they're all like, but like, like for me personally, like you know, it, it the, the story is is dopamine. So yeah, I'm I'm a recovering addict. I've uh, I've been sober from from uh, from that for uh, 21 years as of as of April 5th, 2023. Um, I, as I said on the Face Off Mental Health Patathon, um, I'm a little bit non-traditional these days in the sense that like I will use uh after 20 years without it uh I'll, I'll use a little bit of cannabis products here and there you know um uh you know traditionalists will will tell you that i'm no longer 
sober and I will tell you that recovery is more important than sobriety and that I define what that is for my life. And, you know, harm reduction and sobriety is a spectrum, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So, um, but yeah, um, what else might they, uh, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm very politically uh, oriented. I'm very politically active. I keep it out of the fantasy space as much as I can. Sometimes it's hard to do that. Um, uh, you know, I'm a socialist. Um, I mean, I'm pretty much a communist. Uh, I am very active in that regard. One of the biggest areas that I'm the most active in is um, solidarity with the Palestinian liberation movement. Uh, and so as part of the socialist organization that I'm a part of, um, um, the biggest sort of group within that group that I dedicate my time to is, is works on works on uh, BDS and Palestine solidarity. Um, and, uh, you know, um, uh, I'm single uh, and but like quite intentionally. So, you know. I, I literally don't want anybody ever living with me again. And uh, I don't want any children whatsoever. I got a vasectomy in my thirties. Uh, and, you know, one of the first questions they asked me was like, you know, how many kids do you have? And I was like, zero. I'm trying to keep it that way. And, um, and, and sort of like the mild pushback and sort of eyebrow raising I would get, which is nothing compared to what women get when they want to like have their tubes tied or something, you know, like that. Um, and like, are just convinced like, no, I just don't want to have kids. And like, you know, they get a lot of pushback in the medical industry about all these things about like trying to keep them from, from doing that. I just, just interviewed a friend for the podcast, the Brian talks to humans podcast. And, um, she got, um, cancer and like early on in the process, she's like, take it out, take the whole uterus out, hysterectomy, right? And like the doctors were trying to do things short of that to try to like preserve her ability to have kids in case she wanted to. And she was like telling doctors, like, I don't want to have kids. Could you please just, you know? And well, that's um, going to do if it kills me. Right. And, and, and it wound up getting worse and they had to do it anyway, you know? And like, she could have died, you know, but. Yeah. yeah which is, so strange because there's so many orphan teams in fantasy football. But there's how many people, how many children exist in this world that actually need parents? So you, you know, give, giving birth yeah. isn't the only yeah. way to acquire offspring or acquire children. Yeah. If you if you so choose to later on, she could that friend of yours yeah. she could choose to adopt. And same with you if you ever change your mind. So and speaking of adoption, I, I mean, I, I'm sure a lot of people know this about me in the community, but uh, I, I have two dogs. Um, to uh, to adopt the dogs and i i'm a huge dog lover i see a dog i turn into a five-year-old like like if i go to a party i'm either talking to the oldest people in the room and or whatever i found you know like if there's like forget it i'm just gonna sit in the corner and play with the dog talk to the dog like I'm, dogs I'm, way more interesting than any of you humans oh i'd be in my glory you know so so yeah i i i make sure that um you know, that I, that I have, uh, I have, uh, I have dogs in, in, in my life. You know, I had two, two guys, one passed away December 2020 and the other July, 2021, you know, and then like a few weeks after the second one passed, I got these guys, they came as a bonded pair. Um, they were in, uh, Louisiana 
and they were um, living with a family. And like the little the little girl they were living with got bitten by an outside dog, somebody else's dog. But um, uh, got uh, but became terrified of all dogs, including them. And I, so they I had to. I remember when I got bit by a dog when I was like five. That kind of happened to me too. Yeah. And they had to like coop them up and like crate them a lot. And so they they made the choice to say it's it's better for these dogs if they go live with somebody else. And so, you know, I knew I was kind of probably going to end up with two again anyway. And I, and you know, I was able to keep these guys from getting split up. So, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. A bit of like the circle of life full circle for you there. Yeah. I don't know if there's other things that people, you know, don't know about me. Nothing, nothing juicy, you know? Well, I mean, you've already plugged the the mental health podathon on the FM Face Off Network. Apparently, Jamie's saying he seems like, and I, 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 knowing Jamie, I don't doubt this at all. But he watched all twenty four hours of the podathon and just there's <laughs> segments. So, well, because go, go I, check it out, people. Unsurprisingly, I, I I made it political, right? Like, don't get me wrong. Like, people I, when people talk about you know mental health awareness and you know and and and, and destigmatizing, especially for men and all that stuff. I love it, right? But we don't go far enough. Like, it's great to talk about mental health, but if you're not going to create the material conditions for folks to have access to care and medication, then what are we doing, right? Like, and I mean that as a society, not as the people promoting the awareness, right? No, for sure. And, yeah. and like, like Scott Fishbowl, right? Like, I, don't get me wrong. I am not insulting it and critiquing it in any way. But, you know, it's great that we raise all that money for toys for tots or whatever. I just wish he he and others would add to the message. What about a world in which the Scott Fishbowl never doesn't exist anymore because we don't need it? Because systemically, we haven't created a world where where kids are poor and one in five kids goes to bed hungry. Like, it's great to buy them toys at Christmas, but what are we doing about systemic poverty, right? Like, like my, my teachers, my local teachers union, we do this thing called wrap and roll, you know, around the holidays, you know, uh, in each staff room in, in the schools, there's like 11 buildings. And we get these like, you know, these notes that like, you know, whatever, wish list things, you know, 14 year old boy, <laughs> you know, coat extra large or something like that. And when you look at the list of things, right, most of these things they're asking for, they're not video games. They're not toys, right? They're not like even high-end sneakers. They're like winter coat, right? So we live in a world, right, that makes it so that those people can't afford coats and have to rely on the generosity of others for it. And that generosity deserves to be celebrated. What about the world creating the poverty, right? Like if, if half the people who, who bought the coats or whatever, or who played in Scott Fishbowl, right? then took it a step further and got politically active to eliminate the root cause of the problem, we'd be in a lot better shape. Well, I shouldn't say a lot, right? But we, we'd be a couple steps further down the road. We're still human after all. It's tough to, tough to improve on that. Um, no, but yeah, it, it does make good points is that uh, you know, there's, there's always more we can always do, each of us. 
I'm sure, I'm sure even you, Brian, you probably think, oh, this, you probably, as much as you do, you probably still struggle with this sure. more. I could. And, in fact, oftentimes the people, and I'm not patting myself on the back, but the people who are as active as I am are often the ones most guilty that they're not doing more. Even though they're doing them, but it's the idea of because we like care the, enough. <laughs> yeah, the, the more the more you find out, the more you realize you don't know. It's almost yeah. like that. The more you yeah. do, the more you realize yeah. how much there is left to do. Yeah. Okay, we'll go a little lighthearted here because uh, Jamie agrees with you on the not wanting to live with anyone ever more because better have the option to send them home. So we'll apparently never live with that. That that implies, you know. Well, forget it. <laughs> He'll he'll bring it up in a comment anyway later, so he, we'll let him we'll let him bring it up. Probably, <laughs> I know what you're thinking. Uh, but yes, I guess. Uh, well, yeah. Okay, the, really lighten the mood up. We can t- again talk like fantasy football and the focus on fantasy football. I mean, Honestly, you know what you're great. getting when you have me on a oh, show no. that doesn't this talk is about exactly football. What I, wanted. I, I want I want genuine, <laughs> and if that's that's what you want to express, perfect. Yeah, yeah. I think it's great so far. This, I mean, it's already been an hour. This it hasn't felt like an hour. This has flown by. A lot of important messages that maybe a lot of people need to hear. So really happy to have you on, Brian. But yes, what do you love? We'll talk. And then you get to talk about the things you actually really love. Uh, what's your preferred league format in fantasy? Yeah, so I'm I'm pretty vanilla. Uh, just give me a, a give me a basic dynasty twelve team PPR superflex, some form of tight end premium, uh, and and let's roll with it. Like I, I'm in some other you know spicy you know leagues, um, but yeah, I mean that that's that's my go to. You know, let, let's fire it up, you know, yeah. You're going to have so many leagues, you'd like at least some of them to be somewhat similar, trade values across them. And... Yeah, 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 for, for, for sure. Absolutely, right. Because, the, I mean, it, it's a, it also is sort of a basis for language and valuation and things like that. Like when we hop on a show and we talk about things, like we're generally talking about 12 things Superflex PPR tight end premium, right? Like, which kind of understood this player finishes a wide receiver one means top yeah. 12. And we just know that. Kind yeah. Of. It's kind of understood that that way, you know, in, in most dynasty, you know, spaces. Now I I'm in some leagues, like we, I have one where it's like seven flex and three super flex, right? I'm in one league on MFL that Matt Hicks runs. That's um, uh, it's an arcade theme. Like every, every team is a video game and there's multiple copies of players but it's like once they hit their third year, you have to shit or get off the pot. You can only have two third-year players on your team. Right? And then once they're waived, they're gone. They don't exist anymore, right? So it's a very okay. rookie-centric, like, you know, so, like, I'm in some spicy things like that. But I, and I, and I, Debbie and, and, and C2C, I dabble in that, too, you know. But, like, you know, just give me my, my – it's like, it's, like it's like your favorite pair of jeans, you know. Classic. Uh, so what is one rule that you feel like you have to have in every league? Uh, I'm going to cheat. Um, there's two. Um, max You're the points, guest. Guest gets their way, whatever you want. <laughs> max points for, for, playoff, for non-playoff team draft picks. Um, and no trade deadline. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm open to some nuance on those, right? So, for example... You know, I'm in a league where uh, it's like no trading, and then uh, and then like the two teams in the finals. Once they're in the finals, they can't trade. Yeah, I mean, it's like no trade deadline, and then the two teams in the finals can't trade with anybody while they're in the final, right? Or you know, th- things like that. Um, 
if there's a compelling reason to join a league, like there's, you know, people I really know well and love and they have like a week 14 trade deadline. Okay. You know, if you catch me in a good mood, I'll join that day. Right. Make it you know? like at least the last week of the regular right. season. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. I've uh, seen different people go. Like the player is eligible to be traded until they've played their first week yeah. 15 game. So yeah. if that player is playing Monday night, week 15, you can still trade them up to that kickoff on right. Monday night. Yeah. Yes. And I've seen some leagues too that have, have done like with the max points for it's like, I think sometimes it's like for the top three or four picks. And then like the other two are based on standings or like, you know, um, uh, I've been in a couple that are lottery. I don't like lottery, right? Um, I like the max the max points for. Um, no system is perfect, but I think that's the best anti-tanking mechanism. And by tanking, I mean bad tanking. Not like I'm going to eat a year and be bad and lose and, and like, you know, I'm going to because, sell off my players, so I, there is no talent on my team. It's, right, like, you're talking about. Bad I'm talking about. I'm talking about like sitting Stefan Diggs and starting Russell Gage. You know that kind of shit. Especially this yeah. year, you're not going to get any points from Russell Gage. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, for sure. Yeah, yeah. no. There's, yeah. there's, there's ways to go about it, right? Put the effort yeah. into trade away Stefan Diggs, and then it won't be yeah. considered bad day. Yeah. And you get a pick out of it. All right, so um, talk about great players now. Who are your all-time favorite fantasy QB one, RB one, wide receiver one, and tight end one? I have a terrible memory for stuff like this. I'll be in the middle of a podcast, you know, like I do the other podcast, Dynasty Fever, in the middle of the week with Jesse, and we'll be talking, and he'll he'll bring out some player, and it, it's only like six, seven years ago, and I'm like, oh yeah, they existed, you know. So it's it's hard for me to to, I, I just for whatever reason it doesn't like click like that but um i do remember michael vick was a was a monster in fantasy right you know he was konami before we even had the word for it and there was that one week i forget what it was but it was like i don't know whatever he had like 67 points i think it might have been against washington i think and um i got vicked that week I was on the I was on the losing end of that one spectacular game, and um, so yeah, he he stands out. Um, you know, before there was Kelsey, uh, Tony Gonzalez, and Antonio Gates, you know, were were like those like next level tight ends. You know, the king of the hill, right? I'm pretty sure Gonzalez has the most catches ever for a tight end in yeah. history. And I think Gates has the most touchdowns ever for a tight end. So. I mean, as far as a running back goes, um, you know, Marshall Falk and like Danny and Tomlinson, you know, as, as, you know, guys who had a very complete game, you know, of um, rushing and, and, and receiving wide receivers. Uh, it's tough. You know, I mean, Randy Moss was a beast. Um, uh, yeah, um, there's been so many. Like Julio Jones was a beast for a few years. Um, you know, T.O. had his had his day. Uh, I mean, Roddy White. I mean, he was fun. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you know, yeah. but he was kind of like you know Julio's mentor. And like before, before Julio was Julio. You know, there was there was there was Roddy White. Um, 
He yeah. was he was Julio's Julio before Julio was Julio Ridley's Julio. I, uh, yeah. yeah, you know. Um, you understood. Good. Yeah. <laughs> the listeners yeah. did. Yeah, but like, I mean, those are some names that come up. You know, a, a, a name that I remember that isn't like the RB1 of all time, but like, but like uh, guys who, who just kind of like, you look back and you're like, oh, those are some solid seasons. Like um, uh, Ricky Waters, Steven Jackson, you know, as far as running backs go. I remember uh, catching a couple really good seasons in half PPR of Matt Forte when he caught a lot of passes, you know. He had the record before McCaffrey for catches in a season for running back. So, uh, yeah, you know, so those are some of the names that kind of have I remember over the years. Yeah. All right. So we'll get to the final section of the of this episode and the season, I suppose. Uh, high fives. So, Brian, what are your five? Yeah. By uh, top five plus of five different categories. Well, at least yeah. Five you categories. Can't, you can't ask me someone, especially I, I think this is partly due to uh, being autistic. And one of the ways that being autistic shows up for me, you can't ask me for a list of five and expect to not get like seven or eight. So, you know, but um, the way I uh, see it, like usually shows season finales or like double episodes or <laughs> oh, that's, that's what we're doing here. Um, so for, for artists and bands, um, I mean, fish, right. Uh, I've seen them over 200 times. They're such a huge part of my life. You know, I've been seeing them since 1995. They've been doing it since 83. I've, I've, I started in 1995 when I was 17. I mean, some of my most memorable moments of my life, my best memories of my life are, are, are fish memories. When I was uh, 19 in 1997, me and a friend did uh, like, probably a little more than half of the summer tour started in Virginia beach. We went down through uh, like North Carolina and Georgia hurricane in Raleigh, the remnants of a hurricane in Raleigh and the amphitheater was muddy and people were sliding down. Right. Uh, and then it, it went out West and we, we, we let it go out West to Texas and California. And, that's, and then we, we, we hooked back up with it. Um, Alpine Valley, Wisconsin, and then Deer Creek in Indiana and then up through Pennsylvania, New York, and and the big festival Vermont that year, um, you know. So I mean, they're just you know, and um, Grateful Dead as well. Um, I only saw the Grateful Dead uh, with Jerry alive twice. He died when I was seventeen, but they had a really huge impact on me, and I, I just absolutely love uh, Grateful Dead. Um, a, a very different vibe, The Clash. Um, I effing love the clash. I mean, Very part, political of, band. part of that is their politics, right? They're really forward with that. Uh, Spotify did this um, podcast series called stay free. And it was like the story of the class, the history of the clash. And Chuck D from public enemy was like the host, the narrator of it. It's no longer available. Like Spotify pulled it. Like you can't really find it anywhere, but it was such a great, interesting story. So yeah, I, I love, I love the clash. Um, John Coltrane. I just fucking love John Coltrane. You know, like uh, for those who don't know, jazz tenor sax for the most part. Um, you know, uh, kick heroin, uh, cold turkey. Uh, <laughs> you know, and uh, um, 
some people say that his music got worse after he kicked the heroin, but you know, that's when he got really experimental. <laughs> yeah, it, it, yeah, bordering on atonal jazz. Yeah, it's, you know, spiritual plane, transcending things, and that sort of thing. But I really did love the um, a Love Supreme album. I did. Yeah. I oh, for sure. So there was. Do you remember record stores when you would walk in and like buy actual, you know, right? Uh, so. I was in a record store in Westfield, New Jersey, a place called The Music Staff. It was great. It was a couple old hippies. And that's where people would go for concert tickets when you used to, like, wait in line for concert tickets and get a wristband and shit, you know, these kids these days. Um, so I went in there, and that 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 day I bought um, Bob a CD. I bought a Bob Dylan CD. Um, what is it? The one with One More Cup of Coffee in Mozambique. And um, anyway, uh, and, and I bought A Love Supreme. Right. And I remember going to the register and the guy being like, uh, wow, Dylan and Coltrane, that's an interesting combination. I'm like, well, yeah. But yeah, the uh, Coltrane for me, like, I don't know, it just takes me places. And it's one of those things where like I can like turn it on and just never have to like skip anything or, you know, um, fast forward, like, you know, um, what's 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 super interesting to me, at least about about the Coltrane part is my favorite song of his is very atypical, right? It's my favorite things. So it's atypical for a few reasons. I hate the original version. Like, you know, whatever, Julie Andrews, Sound of Music, singing my favorite things. Like, I, you know, I don't, you know, right? And, and it's a cover to begin with, right? So that's, that makes it atypical. And uh, he's playing soprano sax on it, which is atypical for, for him. And I think the best part of it is McCoy Tyner's piano, right? So, but like if but like if you listen to Coltrane's version of, of my favorite things and that soprano sax, it's just like this hypnotic, whirling dervish, like you, you almost feel like uh, yeah, it's just oh man, it's like it's like you're it's like he, he's a snake charmer and, and like you're the snake and you're just like rolling with it. And then you get in that part in the middle, and it's quiet. And then McCoy Tyner, Tyner starts, and, and it's just like, whoa, you know. Um, Dylan, of course, you know, is is up there as well. Dylan and Woody Guthrie. Um, I love like the old union songs and the folk, the old political folk songs and that sort of thing. Um, Dylan, I, I I love. You know, people critique Dylan as like a middle-class, you know, folk singer. And, and they're right, you know. I mean, you know, you listen to the lyrics of like Blowing in the Wind, right? you know, it's very different from the lyrics of like, you know, some of these 1910s, you know, union songs like Preacher and the Slave. But but he's just got such a way with words. So there, there's this one documentary on uh, uh, Dylan, uh, the Scorsese one. Uh, what was it called? Uh, oh, I'm drawing a blank. Oh, is that the one with all the different actors playing different? No, characters? that's I'm not here. This was a documentary, right? So anyway, oh, okay. Okay. there's this clip in the documentary, and he's there's this sign on a store or like something like that with like a couple sentences, and he's rearranging the words in the sentences so that you say the sentence a million different ways and it doesn't make sense. And it's like that's kind of what he did with his some of his songs like if you listen to some of the some of his songs they're just like a string together of like word salad vignette little images like uh um you know it, 
a captain on a ship and then the next phrase is you know the blonde woman blah 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 blah. and it's just like it's just this pastiche of images you know so i mean so i i I mean i definitely like political dylan more than you know esoteric dylan but so dylan's up there as well um public enemy i think um is very seminal for me as far as hip-hop goes um i don't I don't pretend to be as big a hip hop head as some other people are. I think the nineties was the golden age, you know, and I, I enjoyed, you know, Wu-Tang Clan and, and Red Man, Red Man's from Jersey, you know, um, and things like that, you know, um, Lauren Hill, right. Um, also from Jersey. Uh, but, you know, Public Enemy um, was political, you know, and, and, uh, and was telling a story that like, 13 14 year old suburban white boy brian didn't know right like the song 911's a joke right that's how i learned <laughs> right about how shitty 911 is in some places and how you're better off not calling it right that's how i learned right so public enemy was very seminal uh, in in that regard um, and, uh, I guess the, the last one I have on this list here is kind of the one that might surprise people. Frank Sinatra. I'm a huge Frank Sinatra fan. My mother, she's Italian. She's from the Bronx. I grew up for some reason she was fascinated with country music. So I grew up with like country music and then like lots of Frank Sinatra. I have a lot of songs that Sinatra sings like memorized, like committed to memory. Like it comes on my iPod classic 17,000 songs you can take it from my cold dead hands comes on my ipod classic in the car and like boom just i just know the lyrics just and i hadn't heard the song in like whatever a couple years so yeah those are kind of all over the place i guess you know memorable melodies set to words allow you to memorize those words more easily yeah steve earl too i i I love steve earl people might remember him as the old junkie in the wire uh the white dude with um uh, you know, uh, uh, but uh, yeah, I didn't he, know that at all, to be honest. Wow, I may have to go yeah. back and look that up. He's he's really he's he's really good. He kind of combines like folk and politics and rock and like outlaw country. And he, I got a lot of Steve Earle songs in, in my in my iPod Classic. Yeah. So Jamie doesn't know the difference between early Coltrane and his later work. Okay, well, I mean, you know, I so what, what like after maybe sixty, sixty one, right? It starts to get. Sort of it's like, funny. like you said, like it's atonal. After, after he takes his giant steps, right? <laughs> it's like deconstructed, like atonal. It was called free jazz at the time or acid jazz by some people later on. Like Ornette Coleman is another example of that that was going on at the time. Uh, it's the type of jazz that people who don't like jazz listen to and they're like, this sounds like a five-year-old just picked up the instrument and started messing with it. But like it tickles my brain so well. Such interesting rhythms in there, right? Because the, the, it's so atonal, it's making you focus on the rhythmic aspect of it. And... So good. Like 61, the Live at the Village Vanguard box set, like Eric Dolphy sits in a lot on that. Oh, it's so good. Um, and you mentioned a couple songs by Dylan. You could remember the album name. What were some of those songs again? So um, songs like uh, Ballad of a Thin Man or uh, uh, Takes a Laugh, uh, Takes a... Uh, uh, was it a, a train to laugh and something to cry? Uh, 
just like Tom Thumb's Blues, um, Gates of Eden. Um, like there's just these like string of images, you know, when you're lost in the rain in Juarez and it's Easter time too. You know, like we fooled the sergeant at arms into leaving his post. Like if there's no cohesive narrative to any of it, but it's just kind of this like strung together like imagery. I, I don't know, whatever, for whatever reason, I just, it, it tickles me the right way. Uh, I guess uh, I, I, I have a whole other I have a whole other podcast episode we can do on why um, Like a Rolling Stone by Bob Dylan is the most important rock and roll song in history. So I know Rolling Stone magazine would certainly agree with that. That's a <laughs> whole other hour long um, podcast we can do. Uh, so I guess um, so you mentioned it was your mom that got you to just her listening to Sontra so much uh, did made you listen to it as well it sounds like uh jamie was his great aunt who listened to yeah. it. yeah uh, yeah yeah he does have a fish story now it's uh the fish jumped out of the tank when he was a kid and he found it a week later behind the dresser i'm thanks. sure fish could make a song based on those lyrics and it would sound amazing thanks for your contribution jamie really appreciate it fish is also spelt differently when it comes to the band <laughs> it's oh yeah they, this, this is and the quintessential jamie comment 20 years from now we're going to be talking about who's your rb1 ever and oh it's roshan johnson clearly right Okay, we'll move on to Brian's list. Uh, so uh, read up on the top five books. Oh, plus, yeah. Books? Yeah, so I, I read, have read, very little fiction. Um, apparently, I've come to learn that, again, not everybody's the same, but that's a way that being autistic shows up for a good chunk of us is – we we will read a story and like characters bullshit give me stuff that really happened things i can learn from you know and that's kind of just the way my my brain is and so I, it's all nonfiction. um so uh dream keepers was uh, a book first written in 1994 uh it's uh by gloria ladson billings and it introduces the idea of culturally relevant pedagogy and it's about like what do successful teachers who like teachers who are successful in teaching African American students, what do they do? Right. And it was a very it was a seminal work in, in that regard and in, in this idea um, that you know we need to move on beyond like multicultural education, which is very surface, and really get at the idea of why schools weren't serving you know african-american i mean the first of all they weren't built for them since the 1800s right but um you know at least the the public like the, the white run establishment systems you know we're not we're not built for, for with them in mind you know like so much of this country and so that was really seminal in that regard in sort of a turning point for me and what i wanted to do and who i wanted to be as a team um uh, Indigenous People's History of the United States. It's a little more recent book. So Howard Zinn wrote People's History of the United States in, I think, 1980 was the first time it was published. And, and the title, you know, is a People's History. Of the United, it's a bottom-up history of the United States. It's, it's a history that says the history of America is the history of the American people, not of the kings and generals and politicians and things like that. And so there's been different sort of 
adjacent versions of that. Um, and one is indigenous people's history in the United States. And as much as I thought I knew indigenous history to an extent and was teaching it well to an extent, this is whole other level kind of stuff. And one of the things that really stood out to me is how unbroken the string of ghoulishness and monstrosity has been toward indigenous people. You know, when you learn about it in school, you get the impression like it pops up when it's like famous and relevant. And then like, you don't learn about it for a while. And then it pops up again during another chapter in history. And then it goes away. And what this book really, one of the many things this book does is show you how it's just an unbroken history of, of bullshit, you know, that, that we've done uh, to in, indigenous people. Um, Pedagogy of the Oppressed, uh, Paulo Freire, a Brazilian educator, got his poster right up there. Uh, another seminal book in education and how education should, should be where the teacher is not like the sage on the stage, they're the guide on the side, right? And they're facilitating a conversation on how to read the world, not just read words. And like, how do we change this world? You know, and it comes from uh, his work with um, teaching literacy to adults in Brazil and, and then sort of has been expounded upon everywhere in many, many places. It's deeply political. It embraces the idea that, uh, that to be neutral is to be on the side of the oppressor. And a lot of people, a lot of well-meaning people who would consider themselves progressive would not like my classroom. My classroom is not neutral. My classroom starts with the assumption, right, that our society is built on cis-heteropatriarchy, racism, capitalism, which, I, which is not just a thing. It is an ism that is a system of oppression like racism, sexism, misogyny, right? Ableism, xenophobe, right? All those things. It's built on that, right? And part of our job living here is to address that, right? Um, you know, uh, and, and so, you know, that book was very influential uh, for me as a teacher. Um, another book called Blues People. Um, you may have heard of the, of the author Amiri Baraka. Um, he's a poet. Uh, I mean, he wrote a lot of things, but very famous for his poetry in the 60s and what was called the Black Arts Movement. It was kind of like a cultural art, artistic wing of the Black Power Movement, if you will. And um, a lot of it was, he was from Jersey, so a lot of it was, you know, centered here and him and, him and his folks. But before he was um, Amiri Baraka, um, his former name was Leroy Jones. And so this is a book that he wrote when his name was Leroy Jones. And it's Blues People. And it's, it's kind of like a history of, of African-Americans in, in America, but um, really through the lens of culture and music. I just, I just remember just loving that book and soaking it up. Um, and, you know, a uh, couple more, Black Against Empire. It's a really thick book. It's an uh, exhaustive history of the Black Panthers. Um, 
and sort of how they're situated in, in history, particularly the history of the U.S. left. Uh, another book, recent book along those lines is um, From Black Lives Matter to Black Liberation. So like taking this Black Lives Matter, you know, movement and saying, what does it mean then to like have true, you know, Black liberation in the 21st century? Um, the Meaning of Marxism is a book that kind of takes Marxism and tries to, uh, you know, break it down in, like, it's not watered down and, and or anything like that. It's, it's kind of dense sometimes in academic, but it takes, like, these components of this thing that seems hard to learn and, and sort of, you know, breaks it down and explains it, talks about it in practical terms, what it looks like in the 21st century, things like that. Well, and that's exactly what I was thinking, because yeah. Marx wrote that, what, the late 1800s? So, so yeah, 1848 was the Communist Manifesto. Capital, Das Kapital, was the 1860s. So, yeah. Uh, We're talking then, about, like, 180 years ago, right? Yeah. So how much has changed since then, context, and right. what could we do to bring those ideas and the last, the last book is the one that I'm just about finished with. It's the first book that I've been able to read that much of and been sad about it ending in a really long time. It's called Unmasking Autism, you know, and it's about this. It's about a lot of things, but in many ways, this moment of high masking autistic folks like myself who slip through the cracks and sort of what all that means, you know, and what unmasking ourselves means. And what building a world that is made for all types of brains means, you know, and, and so I've, I've thoroughly in, enjoyed that. Yeah. Actually, that led me to something I was going to talk about earlier. Just uh, I think you referenced it, like how people are getting diagnosed now. I know uh, Victoria, my wife, uh, she's a therapist, and she talks about some of her clients. What's happened is their children have gone in and gotten either diagnosed with ADHD or autism. And then they try it, like trace it back. And then uh -huh. suddenly, yep. you know, I think um, it seemed like the focus in the nineties was the boys, the hyper, the, the hyperactive yeah. form of ADHD. And that was the one that mm -hmm. caused the problem. So the, the, the quieter forms of ADHD, the lack of attention and attention, mm -hmm. which is yeah. more prevalent for females yeah. that went so undiagnosed, so especially yeah. women now are being more diagnosed with ADHD. Yeah. It must be said that, a white cis hetero dude like me, a the the criteria and the ideas of what autism and ADHD were were built around people like me, and b getting people to believe you, getting a diagnosis, things like that for people who aren't in those categories, been really tough. In fact, there was a phrase that was used for a while called female autism that was applied to people who weren't even female identified as like the quieter, higher massed, more well behaved, not the typical version of, you know, like a socially awkward tech bro, you know, like, and so, um, yeah, yeah, it, it's, it's, um, it's interesting. Right. And, you know, you'll hear people say everybody's autistic. No, it's like, well, I mean, we have better information and things like that. And, you know, your grandfather who could talk about five hours about stamps and who ate a grilled cheese and tomato juice every single tomato soup every single day for lunch. Maybe he was too. Right? Some critical thinking. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe he was too. Yeah. 
All right, so uh, why don't you show us, I guess you'll have to tell us, uh, your top five plus favorite movies. Uh, yeah, mo- I, movies are tough for me because, like, people will quote movie lines and shit like that. And, like, I just I barely remember things sometimes. And, um, and, and honestly, between all the time I spend fantasy football trying to manage my 50 leagues, doing content for fantasy football, then doing the political work and all that, like, I can't remember the last time I sat down and watched like a movie or a show or something like that, you know, to like for like enjoyment, you know. Um, the Big Lebowski might be my favorite movie of all time. I love The Big Lebowski. Like that, that movie is is so good. It's a smart, funny movie, you know. It's not just some jerky, funny movie like old school, you know. Um, and then there's just like a bunch that are just kind of like there, like do the right thing was seminal, you know, in my understanding of, of what was going on. Like when you talk about like the eighties in Brooklyn and, and the race relations that were going on at the time. And, um, sorry to bother you more contemporary movie boots, Riley, the front man of the coup. It's a communist as a um, rap group. It's called the coup. Uh, he did a really good movie called sorry to bother you. It's sort of a political commentary. Um, another Oakland sort of centric movie is a movie called Blind Spotting. Um, Davi Diggs plays a guy who's uh, getting out of uh, like Ellen probation and he witnesses a, a cop murder somebody like on while he's working when he when he gets out. It's a really good movie. Um, Little Miss Sunshine was smart and funny. Uh, Farha is a dramatization of one girl's experience uh during al nakba which is arabic for the catastrophe which is uh the word we use for the founding of uh of israel and the um dispossession uh of 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 land uh uh from from palestinians um and uh itu mama tambien was really good uh uh if the guy from motorcycle diaries when he was a little younger was in this movie um the movie called uh, uh, The Sea Inside, right? So um, the dude from, uh, what's that movie? He's got the air gun that he kills people with. Oh, um, uh, no Country for Old Men. Okay, that guy plays, a, it's a dramatization of a real life story of a guy in Spain who fought for um, euthanasia to be legal. Uh, that's a really great movie. Moonlight 2016 was a great movie. Inside Lewin Davis was a great movie. Um, that's uh, that's that's the kind of what I came up with. Like if I had to pick five of those, it'd be tough. But like definitely Big Lebowski would be number one. Yeah. Well, that's the only one Jamie mentioned as well in the comments. So I think <laughs> I didn't even realize it was old enough to have to have been on VHS. Yeah. Yeah, 90s movie. Is it really? Wow, I'm old. But wait, the nineties were ten years ago, right? Like that's how that's how it works, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, so top five. Oh, is it five? Oh no, it's actually six. Top six TV shows. This was this yes. was close to the even five. Yeah. Well, I, I you know, I, I helped you out on game day foods. Um Game of Thrones, The Wire, Sopranos, just really great, like golden age of television, Renaissance TV, HBO shows. Uh, Orange is the New Black, like there's valid critiques of Orange is the New Black from a political perspective, you know, of 
trauma porn and you know some other things that it doesn't like get right you know but at the same time i think it did go a long way to um to put out some topics you know about about women and about women and 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 the 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 criminal injustice system and so i think that was um and and it did it in a way that was you know entertaining at times too um the simpsons like it's been around since like for like 30 something years like like it's so smart and and like keeps up with the times and you know it's real real simpsons aficionados would tell you oh well after season seven or eight or something i don't care it's the simpsons when right? the original writers left right. right like it's i turn on fxx I, I watch the marathon on the weekend and like i don't have to change the channel right at all <laughs> right like it just you know um what's interesting too is like um so it came out like it was on tra- the Tracy Ullman show as like shorts. And then it came out and like on, on its own as like, I think 90, 1991, it came out as a show. And that's right in the middle of the first Iraq war. And I'm like 13 years old. Right. And so I'm on like the boardwalk in Seaside Heights. And like, they're selling these like bootleg Simpsons t-shirts of like Bart Simpson, like, attacking saddam hussein you know like the the cultural like with his skateboard right with him. yeah yeah the cultural sort of like you know blend of of like the america's the, the, two obsessions of the early the, 90s Simpsons right the very Iraq. the very new cultural icon that people were hooking into with like the contemporary like we have to hate this guy bullshit right and it was just you know um so the simpsons yeah it was really really good uh and I want to give a shout out to um, to oh, and what's also interesting about The Simpsons is the evolution of like when it first started. Bart was the main character, you know, and he was like cheeky, cowabunga, eat my shorts, and all that. And then it kind of evolved, and Homer is the focus. You know, he's the sort of main character, if you will, and, and the sort of funny buffoonery that comes there. And there's sort of a slight parallel of that in South Park with how, with how Randy Marsh has you know sort of. Be, become a, a much bigger bigger focus than 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 it, he was before and i want to shout out peewee's playhouse you know um a lot of people don't realize that uh peewee before the playhouse was like a, a tv show did some stage stuff that was a little more spicy you know he toned it down for the tv show even though there was some smart things on that tv show there are some other things that you know we look back on now and we probably would say that the you know what was this? Uh, the guy with the, the guy with turban who went mecha lecha high, mecha high ni ho. That like that's maybe a little culturally inappropriate. It wouldn't fly in 2023. But Pee Wee's Playhouse was so creative and imaginative, and like like weird is cool, you know, and and it's cool to be weird, right? Yeah, and and that. That was, and I wanted to shout that out um, because, you know, Paul Rubens just passed away a little while ago. And, and I think that's like, because it's so old and was fairly short-lived, you know, compared to a lot of other, you know, classic TV shows like All in the Family or something like that, right? Like, like it, it had its time and it was very influential and obviously the movie was too. And, and, and yeah, so shout out Pee-wee's Playhouse. Apparently, uh, so I don't know if it's just okay. So it's a show called Eleven Twelve Sixty Three. 
James Franco goes back in time to try and stop the killing of Kennedy. No, nah, I've never seen that. Yeah. Oh boy. <laughs> Wonder what James Franco was doing before he decided that, to write that idea. Maybe he was he was uh he was uh, method acting for Pineapple Express. <laughs> uh, did you mention Game of Thrones? I did. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. Sorry, I missed that. I guess I try to erase Game of Thrones from my mind, so naturally I would do that. You know, people want to shit on the last season, and, like, I get it, right? Like, but you have to remember that, like, George R. R. Martin, like, they ran out of source material. Like, when they started that thing, they thought that George R. R. Martin would have things pretty much wrapped up, you know, by then. And, and he did. Still waiting for that sixth book. Right. So, yeah, so they did have to kind of, like, all right, accelerate things and Hollywood it up sometimes with some leaps, you know, just, you know, tie up the story. I get that, right? But, like, you can't take, like, whatever that is, that eighth season that you, you, you have whatever opinion of it, which, by the way, I still thought it was an entertaining season, and then erase the, like, seven glorious seasons of wonderful TV that we got. Like, you can't, you can't let it do that. You know, like, the way that some people want to focus on the ending of The Sopranos when it cuts off, like, mid-sentence or whatever. Like, really? That's what you want to focus on? Not the fact that it, like, put tv like kind of back on the map if you will you know like real substantive tv and you know the idea of the appointment viewing right waiting for it every week and yeah oh no but the in between seasons in the summers oh no come back show no, for sure uh but yeah we always end at the end with top five game day foods we get back to sports after all yeah well you've seen me uh tonight as with every other night that i'm on a show Drinking coffee and seltzer, uh, and that's that's my game day food. All right, those uh, two. Well, we yeah. uh, you you banked yeah. up <laughs> banked up too much on the earlier things. You're only allowed two on this. Like, list. <laughs> like if I happen to be hungry while Red Zone is on, whatever, I'll eat something. But there's no like ritualistic like I'm gonna sit in front of TV with my buffalo wings and my football jersey. It's just not me, man. It just it just you know just not it's just not what I do. But when I was younger, in my younger days before I was vegan. Um, I made really killer nachos like that had like the works like kitchen sink nachos. I, they were really, really good. And I would bring those out sometimes for like Sunday games because I would go watch like the Jets game with my friend Todd. You know, I would wear my wing Corbett jersey, you know, um, you know, so we do that or or like for Super Bowl, I would make them if there was a Super Bowl party or, or something like that. But yeah, nowadays, man, like honestly, when Red Zone's on. 60% of the time red zone's on. I'm either here at my laptop where I can only hear it or I'm taking a nap. That's like, uh, the fancy lineups are set. There's nothing you can like, do. Yeah, that. like I'm completely divorced from the result at that point. Like I, I did what I could, you know. I'll figure it out later. All right. Well, no uh, no later on this uh, season 3 of press coverage. This is at the end here, so I, yeah, I sorry I dragged you here for an hour and forty five minutes, but honestly, this was incredible, Brian. It was honestly exactly what I was thinking it would be and hoping it would be uh, true, genuine, authentic you. And that's that's really all we can ask. And I, and I just want to thank, really, not even just this season, but this is episode forty of press coverage. All forty guests I've had on have all delivered something unique and special, yeah. truly uniquely them. And I think that's that's just it's a really cool concept that you have going and you've had and you've had some really 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 good guests i mean it's easy you know to just know say kevin coleman for example right like you know just you know he was on recently and i know him right it's really easy to just 
whatever, consume the, the Football Guys Dynasty podcast and the Debbie Royale content and the college football stuff, you know, and not, you know, and not know him with depth as a human being who is, you know, a teacher, a father, and in his case is religious, you know, like, you know, and I think, I think when we humanize people, it, it can, it won't, it won't always will. It can make it harder to be a dick to them. You know, like we have, I live here in a, in this condo building, there's like 48 units, right? And the more I talk to people and learn about them and go to the HOA meeting or whatever, the more they are a neighbor, a person, right? So that, so that when I'm going to the trash bin, right, the trash area, right, and I can put the garbage bag on top of the already full garbage can and say, fuck it, I don't care. Raccoons and flies, right? Or I can take three more steps in and put it in the emptier can on the left. And when I know that we're, we're all in this together, right, and those human beings are real, right? It makes it harder to, to be a dick, right? You know, like, like I don't have any children on my floor, right? But there's a lot of kids here. Right. And like I've met some of the kids and like I don't really like kids that are younger than 15. I don't really know how to have a conversation with them. But but like. I wouldn't be loud. At night. You know, because that kid is next door. Right. They're a real they're a real person. They're a real human being. Right. The old couple that lives here where 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 the husband has to really hold his wife by her arm like every step of the way and walk really slow like if i if i hold the elevator door open too long and break the elevator i'm making them go down the stairs you know so like what i, I guess what i'm saying is the when you humanize people and know them more and in their depth as you know real humans and not some you know um twitter avatar who's fantasy take you want to shit on because you're you know you're feeling snarky that day right i think it makes it hard to be a dick maybe i have to remember to be less snarky as well that's a good that's a good lesson for all of us um said jamie said he could be listening to any fantasy football shows and actually anyone who's listening to this could as well uh but yeah he says he'd rather learn more about brian and i'm glad anyone's who's still listening to this point has made it through an hour and, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and it's still enjoying it it's still entertaining enjoy so thanks. Jamie's been here the whole time. He may as well have just been on the show too. He's been yeah. in all the work. So appreciate that, Jamie. Well, he but kicked I, all the women out of his bed. So true. I guess he's got, he's got more time for fantasy football, more time for Brian, but uh, I, I truly appreciate you coming on. This was fantastic. Brian. No, man. Thanks so much for having me on. It, it, it was great. Really loved it. Yeah. So Jamie's neighbor blasts the radio when his kids are here and he won't stop. So I blast mine in the middle of the night when he has to wake up early. I was going to say, maybe Jamie's neighbor needs to listen to this episode. But... Or uh, or some of Jamie's fantasy content. Then you can humanize Jamie. Not just this, like, super cool Cleveland connoisseur doctor dude. But Jamie, Herog. Just a, a decent guy with a family and kids. Uh, but yes. Um, so I guess the one thing I want to say is to 
I'll, I'll plug for you, Brian, but uh, you're on the Dynasty Saturday Night Five. You'll be on Saturday night. Imagine that. Not at five o'clock, though. It's, it's a list of five. That's what that's the five score. But uh, yeah, there's tons of great content on the Going for Two Live network. And I'll, I'll steal one of your phrases here. But for every video you watch on YouTube, you know, give the thumbs up, give the like, comment, make sure you hit the notifications, feed the YouTube algorithm, as Brian always likes to say. That, 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 uh, what's the word I'm looking at? Ravenous. Oh, I'm sorry. Algorithm. Wait, wait. One thing, one more thing. I'm sorry. So what I'm trying to do is start a, I'm really good at ideas, but not at like getting things going. So I want to start a neurodiversity affirming neurodivergent friendly, like fantasy football space. I don't know what that is, whether it's a website or a discord or whether it's a set of leagues or something like that, but I got a, a, a name for it. It's the ND zone instead of like the end zone. It's the ND zone, the neurodivergent zone. Or I might come up with a fun thing for the E, so like it'll be END zone, but it'll mean something like every neurodivergent or something like that, you know. But mm. so if anybody there out there, whether you're neurodivergent or not, and you want to like, I don't know, like talk about start like how to do that, or like want to help me get it started, or have any ideas or any interest or whatever, just hit me up on on the tweets on Elon's play thing called X at FF Junkie underscore. And I'm at Senra says, again, Brian Ford, my final guest for season three of press coverage. Uh, shout out to Jeff Lambert, just again, for setting up this whole network. Check out all the Going for Two live YouTube stuff and all the podcast episodes as well. Uh, yeah, Jeff does tons of hard work to allow us to have this platform. So super appreciative, Jeff, for giving us this and for selecting me as this host uh, three years ago, two years ago. Whatever it was. And uh, yeah, it's been super fun. All, all 40 episodes have been a blast, including this with Brian. So thank you very much. Yes, Brian. Maybe it's been too long. I guess he, he's he's frozen and smitten. Or, oh no! No, I, I I thought you were about to hit end. Yeah, I'm like, oh, no. I, <laughs> oh, okay, no, that's so so polite of you. That's great. <laughs> no, my oh yeah, okay, okay. Well, I guess that is the time to end. So again, thank you, Jamie. Thanks everyone in the chat. Thank you, Brian. Yeah. And this was another episode of press coverage. Goodbye, everyone.